And now, it's time for the Dad Bod Rap Pod with your hosts, Damone Carter, David Ma, and Nate LeBlanc. Dad Bod Rap Pod, we are back another week, another dope interview in the Stony Island Pods era. My name is Damone Carter, a.k.a. Dim One. I am joined in Zoom by the mercurial Mr. Nate LeBlanc. How's it going, man? I'm good. Should we go for the purposes of this week's episode, MC Nate? Oh, nice. <laughs> nice. Well, you are a straight-up menace. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Growing up in the evergreen hood, Nate LeBlanc, ladies and gentlemen. Also in here, we have Mr. David Ma, college shirt Dave. Tell us why. <laughs> Explain. Oh, why no yeah. Ramon shirt today? I, I, had a, I had a meeting earlier, mm -hmm. and I just ironed this shirt, so I had to go with it. But uh, okay. yeah, man, it's, uh, it's good to be here again. And uh, by, by being here, I mean talking to you guys, not being on planet Earth. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, it is so, <laughs> so dark right. right now. Like, I just, I, I do believe it because we're stuck in it, and every day is this bizarre you know, time loop that is just continually getting worse. But holy shit, it's yeah, awful. Th things are things are pretty bad. Although I will say this: we as uh, Northern Californians are seeing the blue sky and the sun for the first time in about a week or so. So that's that's giving me a little bit of a a little bit of a pick me up um, coming out of the weekend. Um, but the great thing about dark times is uh it's a ripe environment for dope music um and there's quite a bit going on we've got another dope guest lined up for you guys today um i like to think of our podcast as being pretty damn expansive mm -hmm. um, and i think this week's show will be an example of that um coming up in just a bit we have an interview with mc8 um dave can you talk to us a little bit about like how did this come into your purview like this seems maybe slightly left field for some. Like, how, how did you right. line this up? Um, with MC8, he's actually, I mean, for somebody who has been quite active since the late 80s, straight up, I mean, dude has dozens mm -hmm. of albums. He did a collab with Brother Lynch Hung. He did two collabs with DJ Quick. And all mm -hmm. of these came pretty, pretty recently. So he's someone who's been quite active, but he doesn't really do press. But um, okay. he, he has an upcoming album. And uh, he's doing a little press cycle right now. And, and even with that, it's been kind of slim. And, you know, he's, he's, he's an older cat. He's an yeah. older cat. He doesn't yeah. give a fuck, you know? He's, sure. uh, so um, I just kind of reached out. I have a good relationship with his manager. And, um, okay. you know, they were able to do it. And it was really, um, it's really cool to get uh, some of his time. Because, I mean, he's, we're talking about OGs. I mean, he's an OG. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think anybody from the late 80s. Yeah. <laughs> that term has become so overused, like, to the point where like in my work world, like people will use it like wildly wrongly just to mean like as a like a contraction for original. Right. right. It's, it's like right. that's the OG pizza spot for that corner. Like, <laughs> right. Eh, yeah. Don't, don't I, do that. Right. Or do well, it if you want. Don't do it around me. <laughs> and I'm sure I've I'm, you know, guilty of doing that. At, at, at times but like in in terms of what we're talking about and like the the gravitas that eight brought to the conversation like i would feel very comfortable being like thank you og 
Like, right, yeah, right. they're a serious person. Right, yep. right. I loved, um, I loved the fact that he is so much him or what you would think he is like. Right. You know what I mean? And um, it was funny because even while we were trying to set up this interview, um, our, our previous interview was running a little bit late and I, and I texted him like, yo, uh, eight, uh, it's going to be a little bit late. You know, hit us up five minutes later. And his response was, Gia. <laughs> it was perfect. Bruh. It was perfect. I'm on brand. So on brand. Yeah, I, I, um, I screenshotted the text. I mean, it was... <laughs> <laughs> That's so tight. Uh, Damone, I don't think we talked about it in the interview, but I remember when we were prepping, you asked me about the swimming guy from the Olympics. Yeah, yeah. Was oh. Ryan Lochte? Ryan Lochte tried to co-opt or like thought he yes. invented Gia. Remember? Oh my God. Oh. Yeah, it's peak, peak frat boy swimmer, white guy toxicity. So coming, coming out of the, the Olympics, um, remember those? Uh, <laughs> he, he had won some shit and he had started saying Gia in his interviews. And after the Olympics, he literally like tried to trademark it. Um, Get out of here. Yeah, which is like, bro, it, are you serious? But the, the, the crazy thing is, I'm almost a thousand percent sure that he has never heard of, of MCA. I think totally. the MCA for Ryan Lochte is like Macklemore <laughs> or something, you know what I mean? That's I thought it was funny because at the time when he was making headlines, people were posting pictures calling him Swim Shady. <laughs> wow. Wow. Dude, you never thought you'd get MC8 and swimming references on this podcast, but that is who we are. In our IG live uh, session uh, last week, we do it every Friday at 5 o'clock PST. No matter who dies um, right before. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Maybe, maybe someday it'll be 45. Um, so... So we got into a little conversation about um, we were kind of teasing the MCA interview, which is what we do. If you want the scoop, uh, check out our IG live. We kind of tease what's, what's happening, give behind the scenes stuff, talk bad about Dave when he's not there. <laughs> um, and so we kind of got into this little thing, which we didn't go too far with. But we, I was saying like, well, in some ways, MCA is like the gangster rapper. Um, and uh, which, you know, uh, what Gary, Gary from Cabbages uh, was like, oh, who do you guys have on Schooly D? Um, and I was like, no, that would be the first. Right. Um, but right. I remember on a previous episode, we had a gangster scale, which we have. We, we oh, wow. did that one time and we didn't return to. Um, but on a, on an axis of like zero being the least gangsterous thing. I think it was like, like MC Paul Barman to Easy E. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. The continuum. <laughs> Nate, on that, that continuum, zero being Paul Barman, 100 being Easy e where do you place MCA? 100. I, I agree with what you're saying, though I don't think I agreed with it on Friday because you didn't frame it quite like that. Um, <laughs> he, he's, a, he's a straight up gangster rapper. He, Compton's Most Wanted, hugely influential in that sound. And like, it, if people think it started with The Chronic, they're wrong. And they right. need to go and read uh, To Live and Defy in L.A. amongst hey. a couple other books. Hey. But um, it's that, that is a neighborhood music of Compton and South Central and those areas of, Florida, of um, L.A. And he was a huge part of codifying what we now think of as gangster rap and especially with this group, Compton's Most Wanted. And to me, the, the turn from kind of like an iced tea early mm -hmm. 
style of gangster rap to what we now think of as like more of like a G-funk, though that's not necessarily what he represents, but that kind of gangster rap that you just, the low rider style mm-hmm. of gangster rap is the turn from their first to their second albums. Yes. You can hear, oh, it, you can hear it mm-hmm. in, the, in the sound. The, Compton, the first album, and you and I were talking about this off mic a little bit before, is almost more like a WC in the mad circle, kind of mm-hmm. like a young men from LA, kind of kind of trying to get girls and stuff. Like not yeah. totally, but it's almost more like a it's not it hadn't locked in yet. And by the second album, it's like, oh, that's gangster rap as we currently know it. It which then exploded. Congealed. Right. Congealed. Congealed. I spoke with uh, eight a little bit uh, earlier before our interview as well, just for another like little side piece. And um, he was telling me about how the Hughes brothers uh, reached out to him to, mm-hmm. to get on Minutes to Society. And the whole thing was that they were, they just really wanted authenticity, right? So they're just yep. like, yo, do you guys know any Compton cats? And I was just like, is there a more perfect fucking Compton cat than right. MC8? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. So um, yeah, it was great. I'm really happy to get his time because again, I mean, for someone that's such a veteran. He's, he's still kind of elusive. And after talking to him, you kind of see why. Like, dude doesn't care. He's, like, yeah. he's, dead. he's an OG. He's been in movies. He's, he still has a career. And uh, at this point, he has kids now. You know what I mean? So Totally. Yeah. He, his, uh, it's so, I love it when an artist has a signature song. And his right. signature song is Straight Up Menace. Like, by, by any regard, I think that's the thing he's most known for. It's kind of like, it really, the song structurally and the tone of it really reminds me of Scarface's Never Seen a Man Cry. Ah, good one. I think you could say Scarface Mm -hmm. has two signature songs. And like, if you include Ghetto Boys 3, obviously, uh, Mind Playing Tricks on Me, but he has Mm -hmm. his happy song, which is The Block, and his sad song, which is Never Seen a Man Cry. Right. Right. MC8 has this like genre and era and movie defining song in Straight Up Menace. And it sounds so dumb to say, but it's so menacing. Right. Mm-hmm. It's so menacing. It's so menacing. And you know, like it, it's kind of, it's a musical track for being so cold and, and um, uh, contemplative. Yeah. Um, it was cool because I, 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 I spoke to him and when I asked him how the song came about and the melodies and the samples and stuff, back then MC8 was walking around with a tape recorder in his pocket. So the main melody, he heard it somewhere and hummed it into his wow. tape recorder and wow. took it some dude to play. So, that's I mean, that's dope. really interesting. And, I'm, and you're yeah. picturing like the gruffest, hardest dude walking around town, but he has a tape recorder, tape recorder. Yeah. (laughs) Humming into a tape recorder. You know what I mean? So I I love that. I love that. He's still a part of this like artistry. Cause I mean, I, Bismarck, he used to do that. Um, uh, Yeah. EPMD used to do that. Like, you know, from my interviews with him. So uh, just like a hardcore West coast gangster dude, you kind of just don't envision doing that. So it's really cool that he did. I think that's a defining feature of what separates um, Compton's Most Wanted, and especially Eight's early work, and what has given him such a run within, let's say, more of a traditional hip-hop community. Um, there was a time when they were regarded as uh, Compton's Most Wanted as like, this is a West Coast gang star um, type of vibe. And he talks a little bit about his relationship with Primo and such. Mm-hmm. But I mentioned that to say that, um, especially the early Compton's Most Wanted records, are sample collages and they have uh, studio musicians. I didn't mm-hmm. get to ask him about it, but what my favorite um, MCA piece of work is a song called Drive By Miss Daisy, 
which is uh, which features the most menacing, like attacking piano solo, Ooh. like a virtuoso piano solo in a song about a woman getting shot, a bystander in a drive-by. And wow. it's, it's, it's an amazing song. And to your point about, there's a musicality about mm -hmm. his stuff that I think has given him a run longer than some people who were just the gangster rapper. Right. Like, his, right. it, it was, it's the sound palette, I think, that has given him uh, the run that he's been able to have. In addition to just kind of how he is, um, he was also in Grand Theft Auto. We didn't get to talk about that right. as much. But it's, it's who he is visually, but also musically, uh, he's, he has a, a broader palette than maybe some of his contemporaries. And I think that's why he's still around and, and respected outside of just the kind of West Coast whatever you want to call it, gangster rap bubble. Yeah, I, I'm not going to like pretend that I've listened to every single one of his albums, especially the more recent ones. But I did like, you know, when I knew we were going to do this, go back and listen to some stuff. And he, his style of rapping has a really interesting relationship with time. And like he, he pushes forward and pulls back in a way mm -hmm. that I find to be very musical. And mm -hmm. like, it, it always comes mm -hmm. back to the to the right place which is like how i judge even though i don't really know in technical musical terms what they mean but i used to think about this a lot with cool keith like especially in his heyday he would go oh, right off the rhyme pattern right. and then he would always know when to come back so it's not mm -hmm. just gibberish you know what i mean right. right so mc8 is never talking gibberish it's all very real world like kind of factual straightforward stuff but his meter is really pushy yeah. and pulley it's like it's almost like a dj it's like to catch the loop you have to push right. this forward a little bit and then to, you gotta you know you do that thing where you skid your record your just finger on it. the side of it just, yeah. to, just to drag it touch, to drag yeah. it just the littlest bit to get it back to right. match it's like he's doing that with words in a way that i find very fun to listen to and right. really really compelling even if we've kind of heard some of these stories before you know what i mean 100 percent, 100 percent. he also you know, for an MC, I love the fact that he still has MC in his name. In his name, yeah. um, But yeah. he he has voice and presence like a motherfucker, dude. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? So he he doesn't need to be rippity rapping. You know, like him telling sort of like a cold story filled with vignettes is like so um, ca um, captivating. Yeah, absolutely, agree. absolutely. He's uh he's definitely had a, an incredible run. He has a new album coming out called Lessons. Uh, that has Conway and some other features. Great to hear him. He kind of talks in this interview about his connection to more contemporary rappers. Um, and so from kind of the dad bod aesthetic, it's always refreshing to see um, uh, rappers who understand their, their, where they show up in the timeline mm -hmm. uh, and make a real effort to reach out beyond their kind of age cohort. Uh, he obviously worked with Kendrick Lamar and Kid Mad City. He tells all the stories, um, and we're very grateful to have him on. It even gets into like some like life shit too, which uh, I, I appreciate. Um, so we have this coming up for you guys. This is our interview with MC8. Dad Bod Rap Pod, we have an interview 
today that is uh, really something that I'm, I'm really excited about because I've been a big fan of this artist since his work with Compton's Most Wanted, uh, his incredible solo career, as well as doing movies and video games. We want to welcome to the program MCA. What's good, man? Hacking peoples, what's good? Everybody good? Ah uh, man, S surviving. It's a crazy time. I hope I hope everything is is good on your end. Um, I I wanted to start off by just asking about um, back back when you when you kind of your career first started uh, with Compton's Most Wanted, and uh, you guys kind of were looking. You came right behind NWA as a. Right. As a, as a group. So can you talk a little bit about what it was like to be coming up during that time? I know you're good friends with MC Ren. Like how did, what, what was the vibe and the energy like at that time when you guys were putting together Compton's Most Wanted? Well, you know, <clears throat> rap was fresh, you know, uh, as far as I'm concerned, as far as my part. Um, uh, we had dudes like Ice-T with six in the morning. We had, uh, the Wrecking Crew, uh, Cube with CIA, and then uh, we had like underground heroes, what I like to call guys like Toddy T, Mixmaster Spade, um, those ca those cats. So uh, around the time, man, we was just you know trying to establish our identity. We was fans of rap music, Run DMC, uh, Treacherous Three. Um, Easy and them got started with Dre. So uh, Easy and NWA was young with, uh, you know, Boys in the Hood. Um, so we basically not tried to pattern ourselves after NWA, but, you know, we came from the west side of Compton on the other side of Compton, and we just wanted to basically uh, depict a little bit more tales from the hood, so to speak. Uh, so, um, you know, it was like a, a lot of us trying to run around at the time and get in, you know, cats like Coolio and Dub C and, yep. and myself and Quick and, and a lot of young artists was trying to get in. So the mood at the time was just, you know, everybody trying to establish themselves and not basically try to copycat or whatever, but, you know, everybody was from neighborhoods, so to speak. Everybody was claiming whatever. So everybody had different tales to bring. So that's what we as Comptas most wanted. We wanted to do that as far as with our, our rhymes and our production, you know what I'm saying? We were, we were sort of different than what Dre and what Yellow and them would do as far as production was concerned. Uh, building off of that, I wanted to ask you, like, what was the intention to just like be local heroes or did you always think that it would go national? And I guess, were you surprised when that sound kind of became the sound of America's youth for a time? Really? Um, we just wanted to be on and be like heard in our neighborhoods, right? Or maybe in the city, whatever. Um, we didn't have the the big aspects and dreams, so to speak. Um, I was the cat who used to open up, like Biggie said. I used to open up rap magazines and Fresh and, and Worried Up and see Heavy D and them and cats like that. So I used to dream of the limo rides and the hidden stage. To, the, to what extent, I didn't know where it would go. I mean, 
we put out a record and we put out our first video one time, Gaffle Em Up. And from there, I thought, you know, that was it. You know, I never, I never, you know, flying around the country and awards and all that. I never dreamed of that. I just wanted to be known around my area in my neighborhood and people maybe up and down the West Coast, because you got to remember, I was a young cat at the time. I hadn't left Compton, California. So mm. just to be known around my area and people from different neighborhoods, when I pull up to different spots and people knew who we were and people knew my video and my song, I mean, that to me, I reached the plateau, so to right. speak. Right, right, right. That's so dope, man. Well, you know, you you know we're on the topic of of locally famous and trying to go national and you know sort of on that topic um we would be remiss if we did not bring up dj quick um when looking at your history there's a there seems to be a lot of uh, mention about quick and you guys having beef and things like that can you just sort of once and for all sort of clear that up and give us a little history because i think some of it gets into hearsay but some of it's factual and you know you guys are such big figures i would love to get the history the time, you know, um, rap beefs, I mean, were critical in hip hop. Uh, 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 LL and Kumo D, um, Easy with Above the Law with the Lynch Mob, um, you know, Death Row and, and Bad Boy, so to speak. So, rap beefs have been going along for a while. You know, mm -hmm. and uh, the tale of me and Quick is just, you know, it first starts, it first started off because of different neighborhood affiliations. You get mm -hmm. me? I was from one side of the tracks. He was from the other. And because we were in the rap game, you know, uh, it all, it all ventured into a mistake of of a different song or whatever i had made songs i had like an album already out he was working on his stuff trying to sig signify his plateau or his foundation and mm. being affiliated from different sides of the tracks you always got people in your ear you get me i mm. had dudes in my ear wanting me to do certain things he had dudes in his ear probably wanting him to do certain things so Mm -hmm. Our career strayed a little bit because of the gang affiliations and uh, the Crip and Blood thing. So it kind of ventured off into our music. Thus, you know, we had a little round of beef. And, mm -hmm. and what happens over here on the West Coast is a lot of dudes are gang affiliated. So even though me and him are probably trying to stick to the records and keep everything on that level, mm -hmm. you got people you run with that don't make rap records and they still in the neighborhoods banging so it could get messy like that so after a couple of records and a couple of little shots at each other we just decided that it was more lucrative and it was probably more stable and a better look for content to yeah. squash the beef and you know come together we worked on a couple of songs you know we, we always see each other in public, you know, we drink, we smoke with each other. So that's okay. basically what led up to what's going on now in the transition. Like I said, everybody has their little rap beefs. You see it today, everybody beefing with each other, this cat, this cat, you know, and sometimes it tends to run over 
into a into a bad scenario. So fortunately, we were able to come to terms with being grown men mm-hmm. and wanting to uplift the city of Compton and not tear it down by having two brothers from the same section, you know, to keep beefing on wax about right. basically who knows what the fuck. You feel me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's great. Um let's talk a little bit about uh you've had an interesting movie career as well and your and your music and movies are are intimately tied. I wanted to talk about first um the song Growing Up in the Hood, uh, which was used by John Singleton um, in Boys in the Hood. Um, the song is so graphic and so close to the story itself. I've always wondered, did he hit you up to do the song about the movie or did he write parts of the movie around your song? Um, uh, shout out, rest in peace, John Singleton for sure. giving me the opportunity. Um, Back then, uh, I had just put my first album out. Uh, it's a Compton thing. Uh, I had a video out called One Time's Guy for the Month. Uh, at that time, it was significant what was going on in the in the situation that was happening with uh, us over here on the West Coast as far as racial profiling, the police situations, gangs, and all that. So John was shooting the movie. Uh, I was real close friends with JD from the Lynch Mob. Shout out JD, uh, Ice Cube, Lynch Mob. Um, Cube was shooting a movie, and we decided to go down to the set just to hang out. It was the day they was doing the backyard scene, like he just came home. So we was just hanging out, basically, being extras in the movie. Right. Uh, John recognized me there, just hanging out, uh, and uh, told me he was a fan. He had listened to the album. He enjoyed it. He saw the video, and he thought that uh, we could contribute to the movie soundtrack. Me, being a young knucklehead in the neighborhood still, I didn't think much of it. I figured, like, yeah, right. Like, sure, you're going to call a motherfucker to do a song. So um, (laughs) maybe a week later, uh, I got a call, you know, my management told me that they had contacted us and wanted us to do a song. So basically, uh, we got to see the movie before mm. It, it, mm. it hit. You know, I got to go to one of the screenings or whatever, and I got to look at the movie. And from there, you know, really growing up in the neighborhood and dealing with sort of similar situations that the movie portrayed, yeah, it was sort of easy for me to come up with the song. You know what I'm saying? There's a storyline that basically I know a hundred of us who's living that storyline every day. So yeah. it was just it was just simple for me to come up with a song about what we did in the neighborhood. We grew up in the hood. We were harassed and racial profile. We had beef with enemies, and you know, unfortunately, some of us didn't make it. So that's what. Growing up in the hood came about as far as with the movie boys in the hood. It it was like the perfect scenario because, like you yeah. said, John was a fan, and uh, me being in that element that you know he witnessed uh, by just looking at the records and the videos, knowing that I came from that element, he felt that hey, this would be a great song for the storyline of the movie. Yeah, unfortunately, it just came to be you know the title track from the sound from the soundtrack, and yeah. that's how we got moving with growing up in the hood. 
Yeah, great song. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about working with DJ Premier and how you came to work together. I guess uh, perhaps from a hip hop classicist point of view, it seems a little unlikely. Premier from Port Arthur and then New York and you, so you know, so closely identified with Compton. How did, how did that come about? And can you just tell us like how that um, collaboration has been for you? Um, me and Primo, uh, rest in peace, Guru. Um, we basically started our careers around the same time. Mm. So back in my days, labels would send you on promotional tours. Everywhere the fuck I went, I would bump into Primo and Google. Everywhere. I don't give a damn if it was in Texas, up in Frisco, you know, New York, down in Chicago, down in Florida. I run into them everywhere because we basically were tied into each other through my first record, which was on Capitol and they project. So... I did my first major concert with Gangstar in, in a place called the Celebrity Theater in Anaheim, California. So that brought us even closer. And from there, we were just connected. Every time I would go to New York, uh, I could call Primo up. Hey, man, I just touched down. I'm staying here. He would roll up, pick me up, you know, take me all through the neighborhoods, riding around. We go to the studio. We go to his house. We go to uh, we go to parties. We hang out with people like Tretch. You know, I knew Nas. I knew uh, you know, I knew Buster. I I knew a lot of cats. You know, at their career started that we would just hang out and kick it with Primo because uh, his affiliation and getting into production and producing with everybody. So we've always had that relationship, and over the years. We just stayed. We just stay connected. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I call Primo on shit, not even related to music. You know, mm. he he has a son now. You know, I got a son, so that was a connection we had with him first, being a father and having a son, and me having an older son. So that was a connection we had, and his son plays sports now. My son's been playing sports. My son is 16 you know, a little older, but going through that transition of having kids and having a son, we connected on that basis and just being friends and, and working over the years, you know, so that's the connection I have with Primo and anytime I need him as far as music is concerned, man, I could hit him up. Hey man, I need a scratch. I need a mix. <laughs> I need a beat. And he hits me up. Like, I mean, we was talking today just on some joking shit. I just decided to hit him up. Uh, crack some shit about him because I was fucking with Lord Sear today and, and him and Lord Sear is good buddies and we all good buddies so man that's that's just that's what you do as far as real friendships that you build yeah. uh, in the workplace so to speak you know mm -hmm. I've always been a fan of Gangstar even before we even crossed paths I used to bang all the Gangstar's early shit uh, manifest uh, when they first started out, when he first hooked up with Guru. Um, and that's where it starts, being a fan first and loving just pure hip-hop. So we've been able to maintain that relationship over the years. And I appreciate cats like that because good friends is hard to come by, uh, and let alone people that you can work with and get along with in this crazy music business. You know what I'm saying? So that's yeah. how I've 
come to have this relationship with DJ Premier. I know a lot of people look at it as crazy because you know who <laughs> Primo is. You know, right. Primo, one of them cats up there. So, you know, right. to have that connection with a cat like Eight from Compton and to look at it like, man, Primo fuck with Eight, you know, we wouldn't even think, you know, that would mesh. But it's because we friends first. Music comes second outside of the friendship. You feel me? That's dope. Mm. And and you have a new a new record out uh, that features some production from Primo called Lessons. Yeah, I got a, a album called Lessons that's dropping this Friday. You know, I got a few New York cats on there. I've always respected New York rap, so uh, I got a few New York cats on there. Primo, like I said, always lends his hands with mixing production or scratching. So I'm always adamant to have him included on my projects. So Lessons is dropping this Friday. It's a good project, you know, got a little feel for everybody. You know, I wanted to take it around the board as far as West Coast artists, East Coast artists, and give people a feel of some authentic music, you know what I'm saying, from back in the day. So that's what you're getting with the project. That's amazing, man. You have uh, Conway the Machine. It's yes, featured sir. on those. Are you checking for their stuff? You listen to Griselda, Conway, Westside, Vinny? I've been listening to Westside Gun since he first came out, so that's been a while. Oh. Um, and uh, uh, I started following Benny around two years ago. You know, he took a couple of trips to the West Coast, and he was dealing with some people that I knew. So... Mm-hmm. I got introduced to Benny on that on that level, and uh, with Conway, um, they he's always been one that uh, always caught my ear, so to speak. You know, no disrespect to Westside or 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 Benny, but you know Conway was one of them cats that I felt on that level. So, um, man, I mean, I just reached out to him on some on some on some homie shit. Wow. Because again, uh, Primo fucked with him, mm-hmm. and once yeah. I seen Primo fucking with him, I was like, "Oh, it's it's a given." Primo did the song "Loyalty" with him, I think. So right. um, once I seen that, I hit him up like, "Man, your shit is fire!" You know, I've been listening, been peeping, and uh, he hit me back like, "Man, you know, respect. You always been one of my favorites." And from there, we just like, "Man, let's fuck around." And so I sent him the uh, the Hancho beat, and that's how we came up with Hancho. And you know, so I just wanted to represent with Conway because he's on the up and coming. He's the new class, and I just wanted to show my respect for the new class of hip hop by getting down with somebody that I one am a fan of, respect the craft for the music, and I I, I always respect the struggle rap. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I look at that as the struggle rap. Dudes who stuck in that situation, police, the drug game, you know, they come from the side of the tracks where it's a little bit harder to get acknowledged because of what we speak on and what we represent. So I always want to throw my hand out and try to put that down like that. So that's one of the reasons why I did the first single with Conway Hancho. Dope, dope. You know, um, speaking of relationships and collaborations, um, can we talk a little bit about Kendrick and, you know, obviously the Compton Connection, but, you know, when was the first time you heard him and how did how did he strike you and how did the good Kid Mad City thing sort of come about? Um, I heard a few things from Kendrick. 
from his Section 80 project he had mm. put out. Uh, not too much, just a few songs. You know, like I said, I was, you know, getting introduced to the new era of hip hop, you know, because I had been not out of tune, but, you know, I'd been coaching for like 10 years. Mm. Uh, that's what I started doing. I started coaching football. So that okay. was my main aspect. Uh, I was dealing with kids from five to age 14, and I was doing that for like the last 10 years. So that was my focus. I really wasn't into the music thing, just touring. But I was still listening to the new dudes who was coming out of the West. Kendrick was one of the dudes that I heard from the Section 80 project. So um, mm. uh, my my son's uh, sister... Um, she knew people he knew and they reached out to her and oh, wow. asked her they asked her could she get in touch with me because he wanted to do something with me and i looked at it like because this was right around you know when he started bubbling hard and then um I didn't think nothing of it because i heard of the affiliation with dre and all that <clears throat> so and when you start going Dr. Dre, you like, yeah, man, right, yeah, yeah, whatever, you know. So, <laughs> uh, he hit me up about two weeks later. Uh, he made an initial contact and then hit me up about two weeks later, uh, told me to come to the studio. Uh, we went to the studio, was somewhere local. I was familiar with the neighborhood. Everything was cool. Went in. Everybody was good. Everything was love. Um, he off the bat, he knew what he wanted to do, uh, the construction of it, the concept, the way he wanted it to go from the breakdown to the intro to what he wanted me to say as far as in the breakdown parts. He had already constructed it. So mm -hmm. that's something I respected about Kendrick because being a young cat and coming into the game, he was already focused on the direction of, that he wanted his music to go. And mm -hmm. I was a fan of that. And then when he played me the beat, just to hear that beat and gave me that reminiscent feeling of something that I used to play or bang or was familiar with. And right. to see that he was on the page of, of man, this nigga right here know what he, you know what he fucking with. For you to go right, right there, man, you, you know what you're doing. So <laughs> right. it was easy for me to, you know, we collaborated. I put my verse down. And like I said, I didn't even think nothing of it because I knew at that time after we recorded it, my, my niggas start blowing up, you know, with Dre and then swimming pools and all that shit. <laughs> so I didn't even think the song was going to make the album. I mean, you do songs with motherfuckers and you be like, yeah, right. You know what I'm saying? I mean, good looking. <laughs> I appreciate it. But I didn't think the shit was going to make the album. And next thing mm. you know, I got a call from shout out to TDE, shout out to Punch. Um, uh, I got a call and they was like, man, we rolling with it. The song was approved. You know, Dre heard it. Uh, my nigga uh, Top heard it. Everything is official. So you know, it's going on the record. So shout out to TDE once again. Shout out to Aftermath, Dre, Top, Punch, Kendrick, all the people who, you know, constructed the project. It was a good thing because it just showed uh, his appreciation for 
what I had done for hip hop as far as Compton was concerned in my direction and where I always tried to take people on a journey of a story about the youth and the underprivileged and the poverty sticking, uh, poverty stricken cats in the hood. So to have me get on the song that that was the direction of being a good kid from a mad city, you know what I'm saying? I respected that. So like I said, once again, shout out to Kendrick and everybody who took part in making the song because it was perfect for me. And it kind of introduced me to a New Yorker, yeah. or New Yorker audience. And now, you know, people are familiar with MC8 from that. You know, people have went back and ventured into watching Minister Society and listening to old records. So it just gathered up us a whole new level of fans. So it's much appreciated. Man. That is, that's amazing. We appreciate you sharing so much about your storied career. Uh, the new record, Lessons, is out this Friday. Uh, features Primo production. It's got Conway is on there. Uh, MC8, we want to just thank you for your time, man. Thanks so much for coming on the program. Man, good looking for having me, man. Yeah, Lessons is out this Friday. It's got hot features, man. Everybody on it. Like I said, we got cats from the East Coast, West Coast. This should be a good project. So, man, once again, thanks for having me. Y'all be safe out there. Watch yourselves in this crazy pandemic and chill. <laughs> Dad Bod Rap Pod, episode 136. Um, yeah, we're just, we're, you know, I know we've probably been doing a lot of back padding thus far, um, but shit, this is fun, man. We've been on a great run of, of interviews um, and, you know, the train keeps rolling. Uh, so we're very happy to bring these to you just as a reminder. Um, you can interact with us on all of the Fly social medias, Except Facebook. Uh, oh, we have officially fun. given up. Um, <laughs> I just feel like in the time of the election, I just don't want anybody on Facebook. I think let's right. just all let's just all sit this out. Um, but you could definitely rock with us on Twitter at DadBodRapPod and on Instagram at DadBodRapPod. We do an IG live session every Friday at five PST. Um, on our last week's IG, uh, which uh, shout out to everybody that came through to that. I learned about Sotheby's hip hop auction. I gave you like the hottest of hot takes because I had not heard anything about it. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, not sure how I feel about it in retrospect, you, given you, some time. You, you didn't purchase a plastic crown? Uh, for what, for $200,000? <laughs> what was that for? $600,000. Holy uh, shit. Uh, uh, I'm uh, such like a... I come from like a classic rock household. Like, like uh, I've like been to memorabilia shows when I was a little kid and stuff like that. And like, my dad would want to have like Bob Dylan's handwritten lyrics. He's not a collector sure. like that, but like, sure. Who wouldn't, you know what I mean? So mm -hmm. in a way I'm kind of like happy to see like us as a generation coming to that maturity point where it was like, okay, it's time. Like somebody like, because that biggie touched that crown, it's worth $600,000. You could get one just like it at Michael's for 10 bucks. <laughs> right. Like, right. 
one, the hip hop generation has disposable income like a motherfucker, apparently. And um, two, it's also kind of like a, I don't want to see Nas at Carnegie Hall kind of moment. Mm-hmm. It's like, mm-hmm. we don't right, need the beast right. telling us that our, our artifacts the are is. valuable. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I, all of a sudden it's legitimized because they sell it at, a, at an expensive auction. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the one thing I sort of, that sort of rubs you the wrong way. I mean, it's off putting, but dude, I'll, I'll, if somebody handed you the Ramel Z uh, beat bop, like you're going to take it. Totally. Right. And it's going to sit in, it's going to be framed on a wall. So totally. I it's, mean, it's I, such, I, that's such an interesting one because that, that sold for a lot for a record, but so little for an original Basquiat right, print. Right. 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 Oh, okay. Okay. On that you know scale, I mean? on the Basquiat like, print scale, yeah, it was if, very if you, low. If you, yeah. if you were to purchase a, an original print of his work, like there's, there's tons of, record covers that Andy Warhol did before he got famous. Mm-hmm. So like some like Exotica record will go for like 600 bucks. Cause it's like, it's the cheapest way to get into the pop uh, art, art, collecting art game. Realm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting because it reminds me of when uh, Wu-Tang Clan did the uh, once, a, once upon a time in Shaolin, the one, mm-hmm. the one copy joint and kind yeah. of the, kerf- the kerfluffle that, resulted out of that where i go well at least these things actually have value i think <laughs> i think that was like uh, uh, the best gimmick i mean i hope riz is still cashing checks off of that but <laughs> um these are actually artifacts as long i guess where i landed with it is like as long as the you know biggie's estate is getting some dough as right. long as it's not like some martin screlly type of dude um kind of you know profiting off of this it's hard to have a problem with it because I, I feel like, um, you know, there's no hip hop retirement plan. Um, right. If Big Daddy Kane can sell a wine tour, he, he should. Um, sure. Although I, I hear nobody bid on the Big Daddy Kane virtual wine tour. I, I heard that too. <laughs> um, I, I don't know everything about this, but I, I, during the week that it was popping off, I was catching little glimpses here and there. And you guys know Faith Newman. Mm-hmm. Um, famous Same on our pod. And yeah. yeah. Per, uh, past guest of ours. She, put in the auction this like exquisitely oh the jacket cool jacket uh. like a Def jam jacket that was like a prototype like i was like i was like losing my shit i, I yeah. posted it on our yeah, that was without yeah, i saw that but, like, i saw that would i want yeah. that jacket like yeah let's get the checkbook out like honey we don't need to buy a house someday right i need we this need women's jacket. jacket from 1983 um <laughs> and so i believe they cultivated the items from people like that like the people who are really there so um it seems like the the big thing we're all going to remember about this is the crown and i believe it was the photographer vicky toback who did the session with him who who put that in so i don't know if the estate is part of it or not and uh, a weird thing about the high level auction game is like it's because it's like martin shrelly was just a dickhead like yeah. usually when you win something like that, you don't tell anyone or you tell your friends yeah, yeah, yeah. and like right. they can yeah. come over and fucking check out David Bowie's socks from the, right. you know, the, <laughs> the cover shoot for uh, Ziggy Stardust or whatever. And you're just a rich dude and it's not important to you to be known as this memorabilia collector. You kind of mm-hmm. like keep it to yourself and like, you right. know, those who need to know will know, but um, that's very not hip hop. <laughs> yeah, no, no. You're supposed to. You're supposed to brag. I'm. I'm glad that these things have this weird intrinsic value. Uh, it kind of reminds me of uh, the the debate that was happening around uh, Milo's uh, last release and the 
the price of the vinyl and it's like who who determines what is valuable hip hop has occupies a place in pop culture where um it's right there i guess this is what this confirms it that it's right there with you know a hendrix guitar or whatever you know what i mean right right it's well i i I think the issue is that something like this needing something like this to confirm it you know what i mean Mm. it's like a Mm. false legitimization type thing yeah yeah i I think the big problem with it is it sets the market pretty high (laughs) <laughs> Nate, Nate is just mad he has no get in. He, he wishes this was a depressed market like records were oh, it's funny 30 years because, ago. Um, in a couple of things I've been working on, it's I don't know if we've talked about this much on the pod, like cut me short if we have, but like all the old record guys who like have every record get into collecting paper, which is posters and flyers for the most oh, okay. part. Like you'll see okay. like mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Cool Chris from Groove Merchant has essentially become like a paper dealer just as much as a record dealer Interesting. and um, mm-hmm. you know, other people that I've been working on long-term projects with that I should stop talking about in public until they come out have gone pretty hard into this paper game. Um, uh, Prime minister Pete nice is a huge yes. flyer and yeah, poster yeah. head. He posts all these great, if you guys follow him, I think it's Rushtown yeah. two nine eight on Instagram. He's, he has amazing early flyers and they're all kind of looking for the earliest flyers, including ones yeah. that were like written on index cards and like it's just like you, that's the real shit right that's like the whole right. trail kind of thing uh, people are looking for the flyers of the earliest party anyway i'm gof- going off on a tangent my point is um this sets the market for kind of like 90s memorabilia stuff and 80s mm-hmm. like golden age memorabilia stuff pretty sure. darn high uh, sure which, which is an interesting thing and i think it's good actually i want i want the main. to be valued if we're looking at it in the aggregate of like cultural relevance um but what i really wanted to ask you guys is do you either of you watch succession no no okay no. succession no. is one of the best shows on tv right now and okay it's the first two seasons are amazing i think you both would enjoy it actually but the reason i bring it up and i'll keep this short because we can't really go back and forth on it is there's a guy who's like a scion of a media family he's like a lachlan murdoch kind of thing like of fox news on the show but he's his Uh, son's name is Iverson and like when he is like going to pump himself up for meetings he like listens to like run the jewels like he's a hedge fund hip-hop guy Mm. and like Mm. uh, the reason I bring it up not only because Jeremy Strong is amazing in the role and because Succession is great and because we're hardly going to get it we're never going to get it back because they didn't start filming before COVID hit is because there are such thing as hip-hop hedge fund guys and they're going to be the ones who own Biggie's crown. And now I'm back to being yeah. mad about the auction. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yep. right. Yep. And that's, right. and that's what, and that is exactly what happens. I think the Milo situation is, is a microcosm of that where you have folks who have a little bit of money kind of dictating what prices are, but yeah, the hip hop memorabilia market because of where hip hop sits in pop culture. Um, and also I do think it, it has this luster on it that even, it's different from a classic rock in the sense that um, there's authenticity. Biggie's Biggie's visage has been attached to a Supreme Court justice in order to give her new relevance, right? right. Well, like that's really the oddest, right. the oddest pairing, but it's it's the way the outlaw nature of the culture. Hip hop is both inside and outside mm. at the same time, right? And it's it's very interesting. I would like to see a remake of Uncut Gems where he's just trying to get a Biggie crown 
the entire time. <laughs> like him and Kevin Garnett are going back and forth. Uh, I think so that could be funny. I know he's had it melted down, but you guys know I'm obsessed with Ghost Face Eagle bracelet. It's like we'll, <laughs> we'll do the Uncut Gems three on like a. It's like set in like you know 2001, and somebody's trying to find the eagle bracelet before it gets melted down. That's hilarious. Oh Just my picture, gosh! Picture of you kissing the beak. Yeah, you know, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Ghost face does that. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sad you guys cannot see that. It's, it's oh man. Uh, it's it's amazing. Uh, yeah, so while we cannot participate in the Sotheby's auction, um, <laughs> Nate, you're, yet. you're, yet, you're still, you're like a vinyl hog. Like, I, I live vicariously through your, through your buys and purchases. I What's don't the know if hog greatest? is the right term. I am, uh, certainly an aficionado and uh, an active supporter of our underground hip-hop, uh, artists. Uh, today was a very good mail day. I yeah. got... Um, they re backwoods reissued Dower Candy, which is a great, mm. great Billy Woods record produced by Blockhead, and oh, they nice. did it as a double LP package with the instrumentals on a separate disc. And I believe it's like silver vinyl. And you guys know I don't care about colored vinyl, and I think it's a little overdone. But they did a package mm. where you kind of got a discount if you got the double LP and the T-shirt of okay. the cover art, and it came with a sticker. So like. I'm very happy about that. And That's I just dope. got my notification email today that Cavalier's private stock record from 2018, which I think one is, is one of the best and un most under-discussed hip-hop records of this time, did kind of mm. an interesting crowdfunding campaign through Bandcamp, like not through mm. Kickstarter or Indiegogo. It was through Bandcamp directly. The first time I'd ever heard about that, I just got the email that it had shipped. So like, I'm going to be rolling in the... Uh, recently released, but hard okay. to find records pretty soon. So That's yeah, dude, super stoked. Um, I'm it's, gonna it's, have to like, send over some edibles. Yes, your way. So, <laughs> um, please do. Um, what's it called? So um, it's funny. I I tweeted this, and I totally wasn't kidding. I'm also wearing a collared shirt, and like I'm so glad that package came today because I don't have any clean t-shirts. <laughs> it's also kind of funny. Like I kind of told you guys, and I've mentioned on the pod several times. There was a time before. California was on fire where I was riding my bike a lot and I lost a little bit of weight. So a couple of things I ordered in there, I got a large, not an XL. And I was like, yeah. you know, I'm like, Oh, I'm kind of feeling myself. I might be back to a large, which if you guys know how tall I am means is nothing to brag about. Um, but <laughs> it's like uh, the package came today and I was like, Oh, thank God I ordered this when I was still fat. It's an XL. And I'll be able to wear it. <laughs> it's like, some of these long lead times are good. It's like, yeah. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Well, nice. we know we know that Dave is is way too small to bequeath any of that. Um, I can rock a large on a good day, so just let me know if, it, if it's snug if it's snug around your your midsection. Uh, we got a request. I want to bring this up since we're talking about fashion. Um, I got a text from uh, Books One after our Friday IG live session, and he was like, "Hey, where can we get the hat from?" Uh, where can we get like you guys got to drop the hat and i was like i'll talk to virgil tonight yeah. <laughs> so, let's talk we'll about see. the hat a little bit we've never yeah. talked about the hat on the show yeah. and I actually we, i wear it for our ig live session because i'm a dork i got a i got a custom made dad bod rap pod hat yes you did and it's it's dad a, hat. it's a chain stitched 
unstructured six panel. It's technically not a dad hat because it's not no. a curved brim and it's right. not, it doesn't right. have a slim profile. It's an unstructured six panel um, with a leather enclosure in the back. It's from this company called Weld Manufacturing mm -hmm. and they did not pay me to say this, but I am really happy with my hat and they'll do custom chain stitching up to 12 characters. So okay. I was kind of looking at it and this is an Instagram thing and it was like during COVID. So I was home a lot and I've been looking at Instagram way more than I would like to admit. And it kept serving me the ad for these hats. Yeah. I, I like to wear hats. Wearing hats is like a way I differentiate the week from the weekend. It's like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's the weekend. I'll wear my little hat, right? <laughs> so I've been into unbranded hats and like, it's like a whole thing with me and different colors and it goes with my mm -hmm. outfit, blah, blah, blah. So I got one, obviously our name happened to fit in the 12 things. And I was like, let me just check it out. And like, people, people dig this hat. They do. But they do. I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> at $7. <laughs> What's funny about it is for us to get some manufactured and sell them at a profit or even break right. even, it would be like ridiculously expensive. Like we'd be in like Milo record territory. Totally. Yeah, for, like, for like a hat, which like perhaps one could say you would get more use out of a hat than you would, you know, um, another thing. But anyway, it's something we need to consider. I want to do another merch drop. I've always yeah. wanted to do pins. Yeah. We want to do another shirt. I think we learned a lot in our last merch drop. Like we have yep. kind of a, a it, the holidays are coming. We're working on some things behind the scenes. We love it. The fact that you guys care to want to support the show in real life. And we want to, we want to give that to you um, or sell that to you more to the point. But um, you know, it, we're, we're talking about a couple of different things. I don't know if that's going to be one of the options, but I no. appreciate everyone liking my hat. I like my hat too. <laughs> God, Nate LeBlanc. There it is. Through with the, with the fly hats. I, one last I just, thing. One last thing. I know we're wrapping up on it, but this is funny and you guys will appreciate this. I went to see my parents yesterday. It was the first time in months and I was wearing the hat because I had been out in the world previously and my mom kind of noticed it like halfway into the thing and she's like, oh, did you get three of those made? I was like, no, just one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still waiting for mine, Nate. I don't know. I know. I know. I love you guys, but I wanted to see if it worked first. No, and Dave, I'm just playing. You like five panels. Damone, your hair is pretty long right now. I don't know. Yeah, gonna zero, be zero panels for the kid. Yeah. Also, my head, my head is is you know they have big and tall stores for like right. big and tall guys. <laughs> right. They need a big head shop. Like I, I can't fit hats. Yeah. Like no snapbacks. No. Like Damone Bochi. Yeah, exactly. I'm like two sizes below Bruce Bochi. <laughs> if you can believe that. And I believe he wears like an eight, an eight and fitted. So yeah. Um. Luckily, I was blessed with uh, Paul George's hairline, yes. so I'm just gonna, I'll keep rocking that, uh, but we are looking into merch and uh, maybe a couple other things, and we appreciate everybody that rocked with us on yeah. the last We run, could do so. a design with that's like a chain stitch, silk screen, anyway, we'll talk about this offline. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but anyway, I just wanted to say, um, this is so stupid, but this is the first time I've talked to you. They did this... Uh, Script reading of Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Did you guys hear about this? Shia LaBeouf played Spicoli and he was like super baked in his car and it was actually quite amusing. But I didn't realize the skeezy uh, ticket scalper character in Fast Times, his name is Damone. Thank you. you know this? Okay. Oh, Thanks for realizing this and you've been so, getting this so since 1980. Wow. White people of a certain age, that's how I can tell. They'll be like, Damone! They're usually a little older than you, Nate. Okay, okay, fair They're enough. They're usually a little bit older than you. Um, Cameron Crowe? Like, 
like Damone, like from Fast Times or Richmond High. And I'm okay. like, yes, yes, Brad. Yes, I was named after him. Uh, Another fun fact is Damone owns a red bikini. <laughs> um, so I was trying to think of two piece, two, two piece, piece. Yeah, trying, to, two piece. trying to think of a fast time uh, uh, yeah. reference there. Lo- love my curves. <laughs> uh, yeah, so so we we are on what I feel is a, is a great streak. Shout out to uh, our new uh, podcast mothership, Stony Island. Uh, we've had a series of great interviews here on the Dad Bod Rap Pod, and the hits will keep coming. So please. Yes, Stay tuned. Uh, check us out on all the places where you get podcast content. We're on Google Play, Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, connect with us on social media. Argue with us on Twitter at Dad Bod Rat Pod, uh, at Dad Bod Rat Pod on IG. Uh, and yeah, we, we appreciate all the love and support, all the interaction that we're getting. Nate LeBlanc, give us a parting thought for this week, episode 136. I'll say this. The few times we've interacted with gangster rap stuff, which hasn't been that much, it hasn't done like very good numbers. I don't think that's what people are looking for from us. But it, also the show was different and our place in the world was different at that time. So right. like, I know this is the episode you'd have to be listening to to get this and so you'll never hear it if you don't care about mc8 or our conversations about hats or whatever but we we listen pretty far and wide and i think in order to be a good hip-hop fan and just like a straight music fan or an interesting person you have to listen pretty far and wide so like i don't want right. to box us in too much and 100 your um wide-ranging net you cast dave to try to get us these interesting guests but i'll have to say i really really enjoyed Listening to uh, listening to MC8 tell stories, and that dude has a serious presence. One hundred percent. I mean, while we were on the Zoom call with him, he lit up a blunt, and I was like, "We kind of smoked out with MC8." Yes, <laughs> yeah, in a way. Do you know what I mean? Lightweight. In a way. In, the, in yeah. the most soberest possible way. Totally. Yes. Totally. Yes. Uh, and I just want to let folks know because you'll never see this. His Zoom name is simply the number eight. So, so don't just on brand from yeah. top to bottom. Uh, shout out to MC8. I, I actually held back uh, some of my geeky fandom for the good of the interview. But uh, on my short list, it's like Cube and Eight yeah. are my um, on my short list of, of the greatest uh, actual OGs ever. I, I know um, it's not my turn to talk and I, I'm not trying to tell you what to do, but my whole thing is like, you should have told him and you should tell him. I'll give, Dave could give you his phone number, dude. They love it. <laughs> they love to, no, they love to hear. No, I, I, I get Every it. Every time it. we have someone on, like you guys will hear an interview in a, a week or two where I, I go pretty long on how much I dug this artist. I'm like, I, I think part of the show is telling them, dude. That's just my, sure. my piece. I mean, I you, you guys have more self-respect than I do, but I'm, I'm here to gush, dude. <laughs> if I like something, I'm, I, I'm not wasting time. I'm just going to tell them what I like about them because like, I've spent yeah. a lot of time thinking about this and like I yeah. know I, it comes from a real place. I'm a yeah. fucking nerd. I've studied your music. I'm going to tell you I love it. You know what I mean? Absolutely. 100%. 100%. No, I, I totally feel you. I just, I, I would never encroach upon your shtick. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's not a shtick, and it's not a shtick you would think I would have. <laughs> no, I know. Sure. That's what makes it endearing. I'm like, 
Nate is the curmudgeonly super fan. Um, yes. you, you I hate I, everything, but you like this. And I think that that yeah. gives it some power. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. He answered my question about uh, writing for the Boys in the Hood thing, which I, I, yeah, I, no, cher- so I cherish cool. that response. Mm. Um, David Ma, this is, this is it. You're the last verse on this posse cut. Give us a parting thought for, for this week. Parting thought. I, I got I to gotta keep it consistent, you guys. Um, Donald Trump, fuck you. Okay. <laughs> That's going to be Dad it. Bob, Dad Bob Rap Pod, episode 136. Be well. <laughs>